The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Post election episode of the Eco Right Speaks podcast. I'm Price Atkinson. Chelsea Henderson, our normal host, every single week will be along in just a second in a programming note to let you know. Appreciate everybody, your patience as we come to you post-election day. We recorded this at lunchtime on Wednesday, November the 4th. Myself, again, your esteemed host every week, Chelsea Henderson, and our colleague Alex Bosmoski. The three of us, we kind of got together, put our heads together, and just chatted a little bit and unloaded with some just raw reactions after last night, uh, as it's only been, oh, now not even 24 hours since polls closed and we started getting results in. But this is a roundtable conversation. Again, myself, Chelsea Henderson, and Alex Bosmoski, and a couple of voices with our spokespeople that you will also hear sprinkled in. Thanks for tuning in this week. Let's get going. Well, guys, isn't this a little interesting? And maybe maybe it is where we thought we would be on Wednesday morning after Election Day. But I think it's also not where we thought we would be. But obviously, we're here today to talk about the climate impacts of the election. We don't know everything. So this is a little bit just like me, Alex, and Price hanging out at a bar and talking about what we think. <laughs> so bear with us, listeners. Um, Alex, I think you have a really interesting observation, presuming the Senate stays in Republican hands and presuming, as it seems like it might be leaning now, that um, Vice President Biden, former Vice President Biden, won the presidency. So my hot take this morning is that I did not expect the eco-right to wake up this morning um, so critically important to the future of American climate leadership. There was a pretty, the the line of thought um, had a lot of momentum um, in which Democrats were going to have this giant election, this huge mandate, and and then have the the votes to really kind of cram through um, a regulatory intensive, spending intensive, uh, Green New Deal-esque agenda, maybe linked with COVID relief. But, um, and, you know, of course, our uh, eco-right concern with with that approach, other than policy failure, is that the, the, if, if, if there was this kind of perceived mandate by a Biden administration, and they had robust majorities in both houses of Congress, and they made a practice of rolling the minority on landmark bills, which is extremely rare in American history. There's something like 10 landmark laws in the last 30 years that have been passed on a partisan basis. And all of them become these, uh, you know, partisan pinatas in the next election. You know, think Dodd-Frank, Obamacare, the Trump tax cuts. And that is a terrible outcome for decarbonization because this is a relay race. You know, you, we're talking about decarbonization by 2050. That that means that's four presidents at least and 15 congresses. That's a lot of handoffs that have to happen. Um, and if if climate is, you know, 
continues to, or is further hyperpolarized, it's going to make that harder to do. So I'm optimistic um, because, you know, we've never had environmental law in America without uh, split government. I mean, landmark environmental law is produced by compromise, um, and it almost it always happens with split government. Uh, we we have environmental policy made without split government, so or or, um, or by the executive and then interpreted by the courts and stuff like that. When you're trying to apply antiquated laws to new problems, durable, robust environmental law that is America makes that um, in a bipartisan way. So. Republicans, Republicans hold the Senate, Democrats have the House, have a razor-thin um, victory in the White House. It, it, you can't derive any kind of sweeping mandate from that, which really limits the power that the left has to pull Biden you know, toward um, Green New Deal things. And it forces the parties to work together um, in, in a way that I think makes the eco-right community super important for achieving climate policy. So uh, yeah. that's my long-winded hot take. What do you think? And, and as we record, remind listeners that we're recording here at lunchtime on Wednesday, the day after Election Day. I, I agree with most everything you said, Alex, because – you know, there were there were some that weren't expected to survive last night. Tom Tillis, Lindsey Graham, Susan Collins, uh, to name a few, were either in the toss up or, you know, it it could go either way category. I, I thought Tillis and Graham all along were going to pull out close races. Tillis did pull out a close race. Lindsey Graham, I don't know who the pollsters on that. You know, everybody's pollsters is a hot topic today, but. You know, the pollsters, you talk about getting one wrong. Uh, there was a whole lot of money spent here, at least in my state in South Carolina, and they got that one way, way wrong. Susan Collins looks like she's likely going to survive in Maine. Uh, I think I've got that one right. But there's going to be a place for them, and we need the Tom Tillises and the Lindsey Grahams and the Susan Collins and others. Cory Gardner obviously got picked off. But there was a scenario, had this blue wave develop, like, I think I felt the momentum that might be there yesterday and what we were being told with polling that that blue wave was coming, that we could be left without an eco-right, without any champions in the Senate. And the fact that we are left with some folks like like a Graham, like a Tillis, that's a very good thing for us. We obviously don't know how the presidency is going to play out, but we need the people like Tom Tillis, Lindsey Graham, Susan Collins, and even some of the others that still I- exist in the Senate, uh, they they know what we need to do. And they're the ones that are going to be uh, called on, I think, more than anybody, especially if, it's, if it is a Biden pres- a presidency, if it is a very razor-thin edge that Republicans are going to have, which it looks like they're going to have, and not the margins in the House, you're going to need some folks you know, to come to the middle. Now, people would say, right now, they're, it, the culture... Uh, of our country, it's it's not so much about coming together and solving problems. The culture now has changed where it's all tribal. You know, my team to beat your team. Is there a place for those in the middle? That's the big question I've got. But I think in terms of climate policy, if anything's going to get done, uh, those people, we, we, we had to have them, and, and we still have them. I was just going to throw in Susan Collins and Steve Daines. Cory Gardner is a loss in terms of Republicans that are, you know, that we could be bullish on for leading on climate. But, uh, but there is price is right that there's a, a, a good um, um, there's a good roster of Republicans that will be prepared to join with Braun and Murkowski and others to um, yep. to work on bipartisan climate policy and and it, you know different pathways with uh, 
with the Republican Senate leadership. But you know, we uh, <laughs> there's a there's a need now. You can't think about climate policy without thinking about Republicans. And yesterday, a lot of folks that were thinking about climate policy were thinking about ways to do it without Republicans. That's out the window. So all the eco right folks that you know are part of Republican and and our um, ally organizations, you know, they're this is your time. Like this is our moment to summon all of the resources and power that we can we can find um, and put it to the use of driving forward bipartisan climate action. One thing that I'm really hoping to see when the Senate reconvenes, um, and I mean not this lame duck session, obviously, but in January, that those eco right there are members that we have we call them eco right, but they're not our most active members, right? And I'm thinking of Susan Collins from Maine. She she's a vote if we want to do something on the Senate floor. It's been a decade since she championed her own climate comprehensive climate bill. I hope that those members who are coming back with razor thin victories are going to hear what the people in their states are saying. And we know that climate change is an important issue, especially to the younger generations. And I feel like it's almost like a second chance, right? I mean, in some of these cases for Collins, it's a fourth chance, but like come back, be aggressive. Don't just wait for that thing to come to the floor to take your stand. And I am going to be looking, you know, if Mitch McConnell is in control of the Senate, I tend to think, oh, that, that kills any chances of, of something coming through, but we've talked about the budget reconciliation process as being an opportunity for a carbon tax. Um, you know, today is the day that the U.S. officially withdraws from the Paris Climate Accord. And while I don't think any of the three of us on this call saw Paris as this, you know, great um, binding way to get the world good on climate change, I think being the only country that wasn't part of it is detrimental to our image, right? Like I want, I want to be more than performative. So I don't want, you know, if if Biden is the next president and he comes in and he puts us back in Paris, I don't want him to just like wash his hands of it and be like, all right, we did our thing on climate, right? We're good. There has to be more, right? We can't just have these actions that look like something. And I know that it is also really popular for um, folks on our side to look at clean energy and all of the ways to boost clean energy, but, you know, I, I don't know, that doesn't, any way you, you look at that, it's going to involve resources and, you know, trying to wrestle with an already blooming, uh, blooming is the wrong word, that's a good word, the, all, the, the extraordinary deficit situation that we find ourselves in with the economy that we're in thanks to COVID. I think we just have to be really careful about the kind of policy that we're doing. And, and again and again, I don't mean to sound like Bob Inglis, but I will channel him. Revenue neutral, border adjustable carbon tax, way to go. It would be great if we could get it in the Senate. It would be great if we could get it in a way that is durable. So I think, Alex, you, you know, in talking about how many more presidents or how many more Congresses between now and 2050, that's why whatever gets enacted has to be durable. It can't be clean power plan one cycle and then something else the next cycle and then something else. You know, you can't have this ping pong ball. Ping pong ball. And those who have to comply with whatever the policy is don't want that either. You know, the utilities 
anyone that is generating CO2, they want the long-term certainty. They need it for the equipment that they put, you know, whether you're talking about a, a power plant or some sort of manufacturing industry, you need that long-term certainty so you know how to make your investments. And, you know, again and again, the carbon tax to me is just, it's the, the one thing that checks all the boxes. Uh, two thoughts. One, I, I hope that, you know, as this split government, if that's what we end up getting, if we get the split government, that the urgency of COVID response, you know, develops this muscle memory in, and, and I know this kind of sounds like wishful thinking, but there is, there will be bipartisan deals imminently in the next Congress. And, and frankly, whether or not Trump or Biden is the president, there will be bipartisan deals imminently because of the urgency of, of COVID response. And my sense is that there, I mean, this is really the, that's the window that a lot of climate efforts are going to be focused on in the near term. The fiscal cliff that like our country is headed toward are unsustainable deficits driving a crushing, you know, um, debt for future generations mm -hmm. has been conveniently ignored for a while, and I I think that as entitlement um, or I, I, apparently that is a politically incorrect term now, but um, that uh, mandatory spending programs are the, the trust funds going broke in the next several years will you know force this reassessment of our of how this country raises and spends revenue and. You know, we we sure do a lot of things that penalize work and productivity. And, you know, there's another way to raise revenue. And so I, I, I hope that you're you're right, that that becomes more politically saleable. But the most important thing that we have that the eco or one of the most important things the eco right can be doing is pushing past this like symbolic climate debate that is raging. I, I think Trump kind of gave a gift if, if Joe Biden is elected. Trump gave him a gift by making Paris into this big deal. I mean, this symbolic um, voluntary treaty where nations tell the world what they're going to do and then tell the world how they're doing um, would have cost President Trump the, the price of a napkin on which he could write <laughs> America's new goal and the postage to send it to the secretariat. Um <laughs> In, in, for for America, America to stay in Paris, like all these the trillions of dollars and all, there's just a mirage. It's not even close to reality. But because that line was repeated over and over, rejoining Paris became like a climate, a symbolic climate action that Biden can do in like two seconds. That won't cost anyone anything, and it'll make it'll seem like he did something when in fact. You know, there is value in symbolism, there's value in international negotiations, um, but it's not climate policy, not even close. Hi, this is John Sweeney, a spokesperson for RepublicEN.org, living in New York City. Based on what we know about the election outcome, do you feel more or less encouraged about the prospects for federal climate change action in 2021? I would say I'm cautiously optimistic that there will be some action. Um, it looks like Joe Biden's going to win the presidency, 
and he will obviously pull all the levers of the executive branch that he can on climate. Um, but I also think you could see uh, some legislative action as well. Um, as part of a broader stimulus package, you could see a deal struck with Senate Republicans on clean energy infrastructure. Uh, Senators Rubio, Murkowski, Collins, Mike Brown, Lindsey Graham, these are all members of the Bipartisan Climate Solutions Caucus, and uh, I think they could get on board with something like that. So I am hopeful there. And let's continue with our roundtable. Myself, Chelsea Henderson, and Alex Bosmoski. What if it is a President Trump second term? How, you know, how do we push for and get climate under those circumstances? Because I have to say, I'm feeling a little bleak about those prospects. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, the policy is just more parochial um, and industry specific. So we've already seen under a Trump administration that Republicans can join with Democrats to affect meaningful incremental policy gains with respect to specific, you know, industries and innovation and uh, efficiency and natural solutions and, you know, we have this huge human capital deficit on the eco-right such that if you're a Republican member of Congress and you want to hire a staffer to help you write a bill, um, you have way fewer applications for your climate L.A. than you would if you're a Democrat member of Congress. Like we just don't have we have a long way to go to build up the capacity to staff these offices and to support lawmakers in bill writing and to you know, staff future administrations. So uh, that capacity gap is, is is challenging, but we've seen in the last Congress, you know, there were dozens of emissions cutting bills that were bundled together in the Senate energy bill. There were uh, some symbolic moves, which I don't want to put up too much stock in with respect to like the, uh, some of the caucus growth and um, and some of the natural solutions bills and you know, and in the year before we got the the 45Q CCS CCS bill. So I guess my, my point would be that we there is a blueprint for incremental progress that I think we could see continuing, especially as Republicans. You know, the trend has kind of proceeded uninterrupted that more and more Republicans want to do more and more things on climate. Now, it, like I think a lot of eco-right folks think, Okay, that trend isn't fast enough. It's not aggressive enough. It's not economy-wide enough. Um, but my take for a, a Trump second term would be, we, economy-wide, is pro, uh, climate policy is probably not in the cards. But um, it, it, it's a lower probability. But I, I don't think that affects our ability to do two things. One is keep knocking out the inc- incremental gains. Keep bringing more Republicans into the fold on searching for solutions, um, and and getting experience sponsoring and co-sponsoring solutions and passing things into law and hiring more people on the Republican side of the aisle to work on these things. I mean, it's a it's a building year, Coach, um, is is what it becomes. <laughs> and preparing for preparing for you know the uh, what needs to be a backstop. And and I, I know people are gonna you know, bristle a little bit at the thought of not, not having a robust climate policy in the next four years, but that is a backstop. The Republican Party presidential candidate, the party platform, um, which hopefully gets resurrected from current state of non-existence in the next cycle, um, has to have a comp- has to include 
you know, a competitive spirit to, um, in the marketplace of ideas to have a robust climate platform. And we need to have the people behind it that can, that can back it up. Um, if Republicans, you know, hold, keep, keep power, but the, that building process will continue under, under President Trump. If you, you, uh, who is it? Chelsea, the post, um, you know, Trump presidency, if he wins to me, Mitch McConnell is, is, is potentially the linchpin uh, in this. Is it easier potentially to get something through a narrow Senate and Mitch McConnell, if Donald Trump is the president regarding climate and he's pushing something that is climate related and it's coming from the top, is it easier to do it that way than versus a Biden presidency where McConnell would then view himself politically as the last gap, the only the, the the only thing stopping any meaningful legislation from moving through, obviously being from a coal state. Do you think it'd be better if it were a Trump presidency and more likely to get something done versus a Biden presidency? Yeah, I would agree. I think that actually our if it's a Trump presidency and McConnell is is holding the gavel in the Senate, I don't see as clear of a path forward. I would hope now this is, you know, would require some humility on the part of Mitch McConnell. Mm -hmm. I would hope that if Biden is president and you have the House doing its thing and he eked out, you know, holding on to the majority under, you know, a forecast that did not look good for him and his people, that he will have a Kevin McCarthy moment. Kevin McCarthy, as we recall, after 2018, he lost when Republicans lost the gavel of the House, realized we got to get good on climate. It's not just enough to be against the Green New Deal. We have to have something. And they they did something, right? And none of their pieces um, went very far, but at least they put forward an agenda. And so I would like to think that somebody like McConnell could have that same epiphany and could be looking at the 2022 states, which I haven't looked myself because God, we aren't even done with this election yet. I'm not ready to start thinking about what happens in the midterm. But I had heard that the elect that the map is more favorable to Democrats in the Senate in 2022. Now we never know what's going to happen with an economy or whatever. So I would just hope that there could be that moment of like, okay, I, I have to be for something and it's not just letting Susan Collins vote her way on a floor vote that doesn't matter, right? It has to be a real proactive agenda. That is my wish list. My birthday is next month. That is what I want. I think a better bet is that um, McConnell will respond to political reality <laughs> and incentive in a way that like we need to show the eco right constituency robust bustly and like like we, we need to show gravity and we need to have i mean i wish there was a better word but we, we need more power i mean with, without power you're relying on like futuristic uh scenario planning to influence you know how how senate the senate leader views an issue that's rather peripheral to kind of the main issues that uh are driving lawmaking right now and to change that political calculus, you need a powerful constituency in Washington and, and or, or, you know, in, in the states that that uh, that matter to these Republican lawmakers that matter to keeping the majority. 
And so we just have a lot of work to do. Like we can't rely on any kind of epiphany. We have to be the epiphany. Boy, that's, I like that. Let's be the uh, epiphany. I think we, we you know, with our, I, I like that. And I think that along with some of our friends in the eco right community, that we can be that epiphany. And so let's leave this conversation on a hopeful note that, you know, whatever happens in the coming days as the election results solidify, there are paths forward for our work. So none of us should be making any retirement plans. We still have a lot to do. Um, and I, you know, I'm happy to be in the trenches with two guys like you, Alex and Price. So thank you for your friendship and your colleagueship is best word. <laughs> um, it's, you know, when I think back today, I was thinking back to when I first started working with y'all and, and I believe in a more kind of um, more than half time basis, that was around 2015. We've gone through a couple of election cycles together and I just wish that we really did all live in a place where we could sit down at a bar and grab a beer in a safe COVID friendly way <laughs> to talk about this. Or if we're, we're having wishes. I wish there were no COVID and we could just go sit in a bar and, and talk about all this. And I could see Alex with a napkin and <laughs> writing things out on the napkin. I think that would be a lot of fun. So if I could get a rain check to do that once we can, and we're all in the same uh, zip code, I think that would be fantastic. Hi, this is Tyler Gillette, a spokesperson for Republican.org, living in Columbus, Ohio. And the election outcome I was most surprised by was how close this race really was. You know, right now it's 630 in the morning on Wednesday and Joe Biden has 238 electoral votes and Donald Trump has 213. Based on what we know with this information for the election, I do feel a little more encouraged about the prospects for federal climate change action in 2021. Joe Biden ends up being our president. He has good goals for climate change. You know, right now we do have a, we're looking at a Republican Senate and a Democratic House. So I think that we might be able to get some good climate action that is, you know, created with bipartisanship. Welcome back, guys. Earlier you heard a couple of our spokespeople, John Sweeney and Tyler Gillette, share a little bit about their post-election analysis, emotions, thoughts. So thanks to a couple of our spokespeople for getting in. Um, want to thank a, some of our new members that we shout out uh, each week. You want to sign up, republican.org forward slash join. It only takes mere seconds to join our team. You are needed now more than ever. Um, and I do want to shout out a couple random new members uh, that signed on with us uh, just recently. Matthew L. in Georgia, Julia S. in Texas, Michael T. in Florida, Lou F. in Virginia, and Gabrielle W. right here in my home state, as well as our executive director, Bob Inglis's home state of South Carolina. So we got a little bit more to get going here on the podcast want to let everybody know that there's a very good chance we could be coming to you with uh, an emergency podcast or so later this week uh, once we have a little bit more finality on maybe where things are headed as far as 2021 and the 2020 election 
numbers becoming final. So stay tuned. We might have another episode for you later this week and that will be put together uh, very quickly, obviously, uh, because things moving rapidly. And we will come to you again, as always, next Tuesday with another brand new episode as well that drops every single Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Podcasts, and an array of places for you to listen to the Eco Rights Speaks podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Rights Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco right leader.